A few weeks ago, we, you know, we, we put this thing out, like a broadcast, all those that want to be a part of the worship team. And a few weeks ago, we had two people. That was me and Sherry. And I said, that's never going to happen again. And so I just asked the staff here at the church, Sherry, Teresa, Jessica, and Teresa, that uh, we're going to start practicing in the daytime. If all else fails, we're going to try not to fail. And so we decided that we will practice every so often, and we'll be ready. The good news is uh, we've got a new worship director. That's the good news. The, the great news is that it's not me. <laughs> uh, I don't know if Emily's in here. Is Emily in here? Or she, she's with the kids. Uh, Sarah found this talent. Sarah asked Emily to come up and start directing the children in music. She is a uh, music teacher. She teaches music in the school system. And so she was up teaching music in the children's department. And I asked her one Sunday, I said, we need you in the auditorium helping us. And she said, well, I won't, I won't not do uh, what I'm doing with the kids because I've already promised to do that. And I'm, uh, and so, but she said, I will help. She said, my, my kind of the way I do it is I, I teach people. She said, I have led worship and I have led, uh, you know, uh, choirs and, uh, but primarily my job is working with children. I said, well, believe me, all these people in the worship team, they're like children. But anyway, she came Wednesday night. She wanted a couple of Wednesday nights to get her feet wet and to work with the teams. And so guess what? It, we, this little team that we were beginning to develop, we go, okay, guys, we're up. And so that was new to us. And two of them in that group, uh, Teresa and Jessica, has never sung on a stage before other than I think Teresa sung uh, Love Shack one time <laughs> at a karaoke place or something. And that's not appropriate for church. <laughs> but anyway, I thank them. I thank them for one reason. The way I was trained in ministry, and it's, it's largely a part of the sermon, so it's kind of weird that all of it worked like that today. I was taught in the ministry that whatever your hand finds to do, you do it. If a minister asks you to do, like I was pastoring a church, and this pastor, he said, uh, uh, Dennis, I believe God's got his call on your life. And I go, well, I don't think he does. I really, I'm pretty sure he don't. And he said, I want you to preach on Sunday night. Well, Sunday night was the smaller crowd. And uh, so he said, I want you to preach. Just get something out of the Bible. And I had no training. Get something out of the Bible and preach it. So I was preaching on Jonah. Only four chapters in Jonah. So, you know, I was telling about Jonah and how. And in that sermon, I used the word, you know, 27 times. You know, Jonah, he done this, and Jonah did that. You know, you know, 27 times I said, I asked the pastor how I'd done. He goes, well, you, you know a lot. And, uh, and I hated listening to that sermon. But I have to say that I had to back up and look. I think there were seven people saved that night. And I said, you know, if God can use somebody that says, you know, 27 times, and I fumbled and I failed if God can use it, let me know right then, God can use a willing heart. It, it's not, it don't have to be a degreed heart. It don't have to be a, 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 you know, everybody starts out somewhere. And believe me, one of the things we're doing at this church, we are, uh, I went to the old church I used to be a part of that I kind of got uh, asked to leave <laughs> years ago, or it was mutual or whatever you want to call it. And I, I went to their headquarters thing uh, a few, about a, two months ago, there's a general assembly. And, you know, it was good because it was our a reunion of our college mates. So I got to see people that I went to college with like 40 years ago. And uh, so we had a great time together. And some of those were still in that organization. Some of them were, were not. And so I went there and uh, it was a lot of fun. And, and so I went to the sessions uh, of the conference and there was a guy there from California. He was not even a part of that organization, but he shared, and he said, uh, a pastor has but one job description. And I thought, oh, is that right? I've been doing way too many things. <laughs> he said, the pastor's job description is this, equip the saints. And that, that started, equip the saints, equip the saints. And I started thinking about when Jesus sent out the 12 two by two to go out door to door witnessing to people, did he think those 12 could do better than he did? 
No, but they needed it more than he needed it. The, the purpose of the church is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So what you're going to see in the future of this church, Emily is going to be training worship teams. Sometimes she'll sing on one of those worship teams. She may sing on several of them. There she is right there coming in the door. That's Emily. But she will train. She just come for the children's part. She will train worship teams. I'm going to train ministers. I'm going to train them to preach. I'm going to train them to teach. I'm going to train them to administrate. Some people say, well, are you leaving? I don't think so. I mean, when my time's up, I guess it'll be up. But I'm not planning on going anywhere. I, I see uh, Dr. Stanley. I think he's 80 and he's still pastoring that church in Atlanta. If y'all will put up to, with me until I'm 80, I'll probably be here. Uh, the thing is, though, I am not going to go another day further in this church without equipping people. We're going to equip people for worship, children, youth, adults. And, you know, that's the difference between just somebody to get up here, you hire to come up here and they just sing. When they leave, they leave. When you have somebody that equips people to sing, then they stay. The, the leader may leave at some point in time, but the people that were taught to sing stays. We had a first session on Wednesday night, and I thought it was beautiful hearing all those voices sing. Uh, and it was, it was, you know, when you harmonize with people and you hear people sing, it does something to your soul. But uh, I think that's what God is telling me, that we need to equip people. We need to equip people. We need people that want to be equipped. You have to have a willing heart. And a lot of times, the things that God asks you to do will be the very thing that you think you can't do. It took a lot of persuading to get uh, uh, Sherry up here. And then finally got her up here with helping with the team. And she was first just helping us with the paperwork. And then it took a little longer. Then, then it took a while to get Teresa up here. And it took a while to get Jesse up here. Jessica up here. But I'm glad they did. You say, well, Pastor, do you think there's other worship teams that could have done better? Absolutely. There's people that can preach better than I can, but they haven't been called to this church to be the pastor. Uh, Tiffany was in our first service, and I was picking on her. I was at the dentist the other day, and she's cleaning my teeth. And uh, uh, she said, I noticed you've been letting some of these other guys speak. She said, uh, I just love when Jeff speaks. I'm saying, I told Tiffany, I go, what's up with that? You mean, I really love when Jeff speaks, and you're working on my teeth. And... Uh, and But I understood what she was talking about. See, when I get up here and I talk about grandchildren, because that's what I have. I've got five grandchildren. I, I use a lot of stories with grandchildren. Well, you can, you know, if you're older like me, you can relate because you've got grandchildren. But when Jeff gets up here and he's talking about little precious London, or Sam's talking about, you know, him and Sarah's talking about their little baby, or, or Teresa's talking about her teenager, or whatever... You can relate because there's different people in that category there. There's something there that makes you relate. And you go, oh, they understand. You know, before I had children, I was an expert in raising children. I don't know if you know that or not. I had like 10 sermons that I could just, I could just do like this, and I'd be just letting you have it. And I'd tell people, the Bible said, you, you know, don't, you don't, you spoil, you, you, you don't, if you don't use the rod, you spoil the child. And if I saw my kid doing that in a restaurant, I would stop it immediately. And if I saw my kid doing that in church, I would stop it immediately. And then one day I had a kid. We had two of them. And it wasn't long. I had no sermons on raising kids. I had a few suggestions, and I cautioned you they probably wouldn't work. Because doing it is different than talking about it. So whatever you don't like about this church, if you come and tell me about it, you're probably going to be doing it next. Because that will give you a brand new perspective, believe me, when you try to do it yourself. We've got to get on with the sermon today, but I just want to say I appreciate Emily uh, taking this position to be over our worship team. And like I said, it's going to take a, a few weeks to get us rolling. Uh, there'll be somebody singing next week, and the next week, and the next week, there'll always be some here. You may see us again, but it'll be probably in a crutch situation. No, I'm kidding. We're going we're to learn to be better because God's going to help us. Here's the thing, though. The message today is 
um, the greatest miracle. We want to find out as we're going through the book of Acts, what is the greatest miracle? And so we'll get started with uh, Acts 9 and 32 through 35. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydia. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, uh, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat or get up and make your bed. <laughs> Immediately, Aeneas got up and all those who lived in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Those people turned to the Lord. The amazing thing is that God is using Peter... To heal the cripple. His first miracle was healing a cripple. That they said at the gate, beautiful. Uh, now he's healing another cripple. And I wonder sometimes if Peter's great faith is one time he was crippled in heart. He was crippled in soul. He was crippled in spirit. He was crippled in unforgiveness. He was a messed up man. But one day God come along and challenged Peter. And made Peter step out of his comfort zone. One day he was in a boat and he was comfortable in that boat. And he saw there was a storm all about him. And, you know, he didn't know whether if the ship was going to make it or not. And he saw, looked like a ghost walking. And he looked and it was Jesus. And he said, Jesus, if that's you, bid me to come on the water. And Jesus let Peter walk on the water. Peter walked on water. Maybe Peter was enthused about getting people walking in the right direction, walking to the Lord, get them up on their feet and walking because he realized one time he didn't walk for the Lord. He wasn't practicing what he should practice. He didn't believe. He didn't have faith. And so Peter, uh, during this period of time, God was using him. The Apostle Peter had been engaged in ministry uh, when he found himself visiting this saint. You know, we know very little about Aeneas, this person that was healed. We don't know how old he was. We don't know whether he was Jew or Gentile. We don't know. Dr. Luke tells us, though, that he had this palsy for eight years. He was crippled. He was helpless. He couldn't do many, many things. Peter's first miracle had been that healing of the cripple. And one thing you'll learn when you look at the parallel of Peter and Paul, uh, Peter and Paul was there's a lot of similarities. Peter was, you know, he, he denied the Lord three times. And he said, Lord, everybody else will deny you, but I won't deny you. And he said, I'll die for you. And Jesus said, yeah, you'll die for me, but it's when you're old and gray. I'm a, you're going to learn a lot about the providence of God today. When God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So Peter... Peter just trusted in the Lord. He told Peter, he said, Peter, you ain't nothing now, but on the day of Pentecost, you're going to be a pillar. I'm going to turn Peter into a pillar for my church. Now, when Jesus first called Peter, he wasn't much of a pillar. He was pretty much a jerk. He's always sticking his foot in his mouth, always messing up. Aren't you glad that God kept working with Peter even in the days that he messed up? But what Peter was, a willing heart, he willingly kept trying. He kept trying, and he didn't give up. And so we got uh, Peter, and then we got Paul was named Saul, and Saul was the one that gave the orders to kill Stephen, as we heard Sam so eloquently put it you know, last week when he spoke. Uh, Saul had this Stephen killed. And so I'm going to ask you something. You know, there was... Unfortunately, but there was two murders here in, in Cumberland County. And what if, you know, one of the people was in your family? And what if the person that done the shooting, the murdering, was on bail? And what if that person came here to church and he was sitting in your area? You might have a problem with that. I might would have a problem with that. Because you go... Yeah, I'm telling you something. If he's going to go to our church, I am not going to this church. I'm not having that. Well, you see, that was the very situation. Saul could change his name to Paul, but he's the same guy that killed a lot of those people's family members when he was following after religion, and he didn't understand. He thought he was standing up for Jesus Christ, but he was in the wrong. 
And so we find these two men, there's a lot of similarities. Both of them healed cripples. Both of them were arrested and put in jail. Both were miraculously delivered from jail. Both were treated like gods. Both gave a bold witness before the authorities. Both had uh, uh, to confront false prophets. No one reading the book of Acts could end up saying, I am of Paul or I'm of Peter. 1 Corinthians 1 and 12. But it is the same God which worketh all in all. 1 Corinthians 12 and 6. See, we're not trying to build a personality church. We don't want a part of our church, well, I'm for Dennis, I'm of Dennis, or I'm of Sam, or I'm of Jeff, or I'm of Teresa, or I'm of whoever else gets up here. No, it's all in all. It's not one worship team, it's not one preacher, it's not one teacher. The same God that worked in Peter is the same God that can work in Paul. He's the same God that can work in you. He's no respecter of a person's. So do you have a willing heart? The resurrected Christ... This resurrected Christ by the authority of his name brought perfect soundness to Aeneas, and he could walk. The healing was instantaneous. The man was able to get up and walk. And he, he said, rise up and walk and take up your bed. Make your bed. All right, that's a, that's a great miracle. How I many give an applause if you think that's a great miracle? All right. We're going to gauge that in a minute. All right, the second miracle, raising the dead. Now, that's a great miracle you're going to admit. But now he's topping it, raising the dead in 936 through 43. We want to look and see what it says there. In Joppa, there was a disciple named uh, Tabitha. Did you notice that woman? That woman is a disciple named Tabitha. And in the Greek, it means Dorcas. But if I had the name Dorcas, I think I'd rather be called Tabitha. Uh, <laughs> she was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in the upstairs room. Lydia was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydia, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. The amazing thing at this time, there had been no record of anybody being resurrected since Jesus went back to heaven. So what gave those people the mindset that they could call on Peter, and Peter could raise the dead. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows, uh, went upstairs, all the widows stood around him crying, showing him the robes and the other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees, and he prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called her, called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known as all over Joppa. Listen to this last line. And many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time. And then he went down to a tanner named Simon. I want you to see this beautiful story as it unfolds here. Things are happening, and some of the things that are happening, Peter don't even know why they're happening. Most of the time that God's doing great things in us, we don't even know he's doing great things in us. We don't have a clue. But uh, this woman, Dorcas, uh, she had a women's group, and this women's group, they constantly made stuff for widows to sell and to make a living because there was no one to take care of widows back then. And uh, she was loved by all. And you think about it, if somebody's going to die, surely it shouldn't be Dorcas. She's like the best woman in the whole church. But she was the one that was sick. She's the one that died. I've often wondered that when I've seen people that I love even in this congregation when they pass on. I say, God, why, why didn't you pick one of the aggravating people? I got several on a list. I could give you a list, God. You're picking the best of I got. And uh, Peter, though, he went down. They called upon him. Peter didn't go looking for a resurrection. He was called upon. And when he was called upon, he humbly went and he was there to do what he could do. 
I think all the great things that's ever happened in my life happened because I got a call and I went. The Bible said some are called, some are sent, some just packed up their bags and went. <laughs> some of you probably had a pastor before that he just packed up his bags and went. But there is a calling. There's a ministry. Every single one of you have got a calling. And every single one of you has got a ministry. And probably the ministry that God has called you to do, in your opinion right now, you can't do it. You say, I can't do that. But God's going to stretch you until you can. And God does that. He stretches us and he causes us to, uh, to, to stretch a little bit. Dorcas's name actually meant gazelle. I think about Dave Ramsey talked about we need to have a gazelle intensity. It's like, it's like strength and power and speed under grace. They're just so graceful as they go. Dorcas was a graceful woman that was used powerfully of God. They didn't know what, why it had happened like it happened. Maybe the miracle was not so much for Dorcas. She was better off in heaven. She's better off in heaven. Maybe they had to rely on Job 1 and 21. The Lord gave and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I, I think about uh, this story. And the, the Bible said that uh, this area that he went to, I told you he went to Joppa. Joppa is the modern Jaffa, which is where the airport is in Jerusalem. It's located on the seacoast sea there, about 10 miles from Lydia. The city is important and has an important Bible history behind it because this is the place where the prophet Jonah went to flee God, flee from God. See, God asked Jonah to go over to Nineveh and preach the gospel to the Ninevites. And Jonah said, no, ain't doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And so God told him to go to Nineveh, and he went down to Joppa. He went down to the port. He went down to where the deck was. He went in the boat, and he went down in the bottom of the boat. I have found when people disobey God, their next steps are going to be down, 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 down. Because you're running from God. You're running from his calling. You're running from God's will in your life. And so he kept going down. Finally, they go out, you know, he, he rides on that boat with these uh, Gentiles. Uh, and Jonah went to Joppa to avoid going to the Gentiles. He went out on this boat, though. And when the seas began to have a storm, there was a storm. And they were thinking, well, they cast Lot and it fell on Jonah just by happenstance. And they decided our problem is Jonah. Jonah's out of the will of God. We need to throw him out of the boat. Jonah got thrown out of the boat. He got swallowed by what? Great fish or a whale. And he was in the well three days. And you go, well, I don't believe that story. Well, Jesus believed that story. Jesus said just like it. Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and three nights. So is the son of man going to be in the grave three days and three nights. And then he'll come forth. Guess what? Jonah got swallowed by that great fish, but that fish knew where Nineveh was. The fish knew where Nineveh was. He was wrapped in, that, in all these weeds and stuff in that belly of that great fish. And in that great fish... Just like when you stay in the bathtub too long, you get turning white and wrinkledy. He was turning white and wrinkledy, especially in the acids of that fish. The fish comes up to Nineveh and throws him up. I don't know about you, but I don't like to be thrown up of nothing. You go, that is not a very merciful God, but there's basically two ways out of a well. That's the best one. Take my, take, it's the best way to get out of a well. By far. And so he comes out of the well, and now he's all white and uh, spooky looking, and he's walking to shore, and the people go, oh, my God, because here's the other part of the story. That city of Nineveh, their god was the fish god. You've got a fish that delivers a man that looks like a ghost, and he says, repent. What are you going to do? 
going to repent. I think I might just repent. You've kind of got my attention there, Lord. And they repented. Jonah. See, God always gets his will in the end. We need to remember that God is moving heavens and earth for you to become the person that you need to become. When I get to heaven, I want to ask God a bunch of questions. One of the, God, one of the questions I plan on asking God when I get there is, God, why do you choose people? I've worked with a lot of people. People are aggravating. You can't depend on people. Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy, find faithful people who shall be able. You know why you want to find, you don't find able people because some of your most able singers has not been singing. Some of the most able teachers have not been teaching. Some of the most able greeters have not been greeting. Some of the most able children and youth workers have not been working. He told Timothy, he said, Timothy, find faithful people. Because faithful people, over a period of time, you can train faithful people to be able. But you're out of luck trying to train an unfaithful person. You're wasting your time. So at Grace Community Church, our goal is to equip people and find faithful people who are willing to be trained, even if it stretches them a little bit. And so we find here in this, in this story, this wonderful story, God is using Peter and God. And we look at the, even the parallels between Peter. And there's all these stories connect. Uh, you know, Jonah in the uh, belly of the well for three days and Jesus compared it to him. And then we're finding that there was a mighty storm, a mighty wind. And that wind, that storm actually came from God. That wind that hit that boat that Jonah was on was a wind sent by God. And it shoved him off the boat, off course, and got him back on course if it took a fish and him being vomited out. On the other hand, God used Peter, and Peter denied the Lord three times, but God is a forgiving God. And this is something we need to always remember. There are no saints without a past and there's no sinners without a future and so here is Peter with the past sinner saved by grace that God now is making him a pillar but just like Jonah disobeyed God and a storm came or a wind came but it led to Nineveh being saved we find that Peter on the day of Pentecost he obeyed God and a wind came and 3,000 people were saved. Amazing parallels and, and things in Scripture that just fall together. And you see these great things that God is doing. The last part of that said, Then God had, had told Peter, Peter, go down and I want you to stay with uh, Simon the Tanner. God was stretching Peter. So far... I believe nothing in this story had to do with a healing or a resurrection. It had to do with Peter. God was preparing Peter to be a pillar. And it took these events. And some of these people just got in the way. Or they were at the right time. And Peter's preparation become their healing or their resurrection. He tells Peter, he said, Peter, I want you to go down to uh, this guy, Simon's house he's a tanner well the interesting thing about this in Leviticus 11 and 35 it tells you that no good Jew should ever be around a tanner matter of fact they had Jewish laws that no tanner could operate his business I think it was within 10 miles or 20 miles from the town you know why because it stank you ever heard people you, you stink you stink well <clears throat> what you find about this story is Peter's like well how do I get to Simon's house I'm sure they said, just follow your nose. <laughs> it stinks. A tanner is someone that takes skins of an animal and they tan them and it smells. It stinks. So here is Peter. He's down among a Gentile that's tanning something. And Peter's going, man, this is weird. I shouldn't be here. Am I at the wrong place at the wrong time? But God was stretching Peter because Peter needed to do something greater. Then we look a little further. 
Peter, you go, well, why didn't God tell the angel to do it? Because angels are not called to spread the gospel. Angels will go get people and tell them to go here and do the gospel. We're seeing the power of Jesus working in the New Testament. We're seeing the power of the Holy Spirit. We're seeing angels. We're seeing people have visions. Amazing stuff is happening in the book. The the next thing I want us to go to, uh, chapter 10. At Cornelius, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout, God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed godly, God, prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctively saw an angel of God who came to him and, and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked, and the angel answered, your prayers, now I want you to get this, your, when, you, when you think your prayers are not getting higher than the ceilings, keep on praying, keep on trusting. Your prayers, when, when that mountain don't seem to be disappearing, keep on praying. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. One day, all those years of praying, all those years of giving is going to flash before God. God's going to do something special in your life. And so he said, now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the the seashore there. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. All right, this was going on. There was somebody headed to Simon the Tanner's house where Peter was. About this same time, in verse 9, it was about noon the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. You ever do that when you start praying, you get hungry all at once? <laughs> but he got hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while, he, while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. He contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as re- reptiles and birds. Then the voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And verse 14 is a very pivotal verse. said, surely not so, not so, Lord. Some translations said, not, not, not so, Lord. Surely not, Lord. Peter replied, I have never eaten anything unpure or unclean. How many thinks that's the truth? He had never in his entire life. That sounds like a religious statement to me. I have never, ever done that. Like this woman come in, she was kind of crying. Her and her husband had been fighting. They come into this church, and there's this old couple there. And, uh, you know, he said, what's going on? They said, well, we had a little fight on the way to church. And uh, he says, uh, well, me and Ethel, we've never had an argument. <laughs> and his wife said, yeah, and you've never had a solution either. If we be honest, we've all sinned, and we've all come short, and we've all fought, and we've all had arguments, and we're not half what we think we are. But Peter, I've never, you know, Lord, who is he thinks he's talking to? God knows everything about Peter. God, I've never eaten anything. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure, impure that God has made clean. This happened a third time. How many wants to say Peter is hard-headed? I want to say it. Peter is hard-headed. It takes three times every time for Jesus to get through with him. Peter said, Peter, do you love me? He goes, yeah. (laughs) Peter, do you really love me? "Mm, Yeah, I guess. Peter, do you really, really, really love me? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) If you look at the times that Jesus deals with Peter, he almost has to tell Peter three times every time. Because you don't get it. And so while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was 
and stopped at the gate. Do you see anybody orchestrating these affairs? They left to come find Peter at Simon uh, the Tanner's house. Peter has a vision, and at the right time, he's just trying to qualify the vision. Then they go, there's somebody, the angel said, there's somebody down there at the door. And they called out, if, if Simon, uh, who was known as Peter, was staying there while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to them, men, I'm the one you're looking for, because there were two Simons there, right? Simon the Tanner and Simon Peter. I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? Then the men replied, we have come for Cornelius the centurion. He had, he's a righteous man. He's a God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. He's a, a holy angel told him and asked him to come to this house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house as their guests. Another hurdle. Peter invited these Gentiles into this house where he was staying. That was a big stretch because Jews don't have anything to do with Gentiles. I'm going to tell you, I, I, you know, my parents did not raise me racial, but we lived among racial people, basically. I mean, uh, black people were not called the best names where my dad was born or where he come. And yet, uh, back in that time, you know, there was a little saying, any, many, miny, mo." Well, you know, we had to quit doing that. There was a thing at school, uh, basically black and whites did not mix. They stayed on their side of town and we stayed on our side. I've lived in Florida. And uh, so they had this great idea that was going to integrate the black and white people together in the same schools. I remember they had a, a school meeting and they said, uh, we're fixing to start having the black kids come to this school and uh, we're going to integrate them. And so their parents stood up and goes, you mean to tell me those black kids are going to be in the classrooms with my kids? You mean to tell me those black kids are going to drink out of the same water fountain as my kids? That ain't going to happen. And you mean those black kids are going to be going and using the same bathroom as we're using? Now, folks, this is in my lifetime. And so us kids, we didn't know what's going on. We just think, well, why is all these parents about to fight? Well, then they finally did it. I, I had a, a black teacher. If you acted up, he'd throw a marble and hit you on the head. <laughs> I'm not kidding. He got all our attention. Ended up liking the guy. But here's the thing. At first, it was horrible. We did not mix well. We didn't have a natural love for one another. Our football team got a little better. better. Basketball team got a lot better. We got to know these kids we had a different feeling about them. I'll never forget after going through, that was about 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, ninth grade, 10th, 11th, 12th. Went on through and the rest of that whole time we were integrated, blacks and whites. When it got to the junior high, it was very, very, very rough. They would take us all into a room and they would pat us down before we went to lunch because every day there was a, a bloodbath. There was a, a fight at school. They would take us into the, uh, the, the gymnasium and they'd pat us down to make sure we had no clubs, no knives, no guns. And they quite often got guns, knives, and clubs, razors, because there was those kind of fights going on. It was not a very friendly school to go to. Pretty soon, they knew they couldn't keep doing that because they was going to get in trouble. And so finally, they, the school system decided to put an actual police officer in the lunchroom ready to stop fights. And so over a period of time, things began to calm down. It was still, we had a two-story school, so... If you were a white boy, you didn't want to go up the stairway by yourself. We kind of ganged up. We wasn't officially a gang. We didn't have bandanas and all that, but we understood where we probably need to go. We knew that if we were going to go upstairs, a bunch of white people need to go upstairs together. And if you're going downstairs, you need to come down together. Same way with the black kids. They needed to go together, and they needed to come down together. Because if you got caught in the halfway point of that stairway, you might get kicked back down the stairways. And if one of the black students were to come up, they might get kicked back down. We, there was, there was, we, after a while, we didn't even know why we didn't love those people. We didn't understand why we had this thing. We found out like they wear clothes and they, they, they talk and they eat in the lunchroom. And they're not as different as you think they are. 
And it was a, it was a learning process. And I'll never forget, I graduated from high school, and it was the fall, I think it was the fall after that. Uh, Jerry Green, he, uh, he was one of our greatest football players ever. And uh, we went, he graduated, and he went ahead and signed up for Vietnam because if he signed up, you didn't have to stay as long. And he said, I'm going to go ahead and sign up for Vietnam because he had a scholarship to go to college. And so he went to Vietnam. And so, you know, the summer went through, and now it was fall, which fall means nothing in Florida. It just means, like, it's fall. It's that October time. So it's football season. And at football season, I remember one night we were standing there waiting to hear the mighty bloodhounds, our team, uh, go to war to win for our great school. And they asked everybody to stand and take their hats off and bow their heads. They said, I, I hate to inform you that Jerry Green was killed today in Vietnam. I'm going to tell you, there were some white people, there were some white parents, and there were some white students with tears rolling down their eyes. We had realized that that young man meant more to us than we ever knew. You know, when you're born, <clears throat> hopefully everybody in the room is rejoicing and you're the little baby crying. Our goal in life is to live so humbly and pure before God and do our very best for everybody we come in contact with that when we die, everybody else is in the room is crying. And yet we're in the presence of God rejoicing. And when we go, don't call me back. D.L. Moody said, don't call me back. You, you ought to hear the stories of people that have died. said, don't call me back. You're not doing me any favors. And so Peter was being stretched. I was being stretched. That school incident was stretching me. Me and Sharon got into youth camp ministries very young, 16, 17 years of age. We started working in youth camp together. We, we got married when we were 17. And we was working in youth camps together, and they came and they said, uh, we need some volunteers. And here's the thing, I'm going to tell you, here's some things that I learned growing up. There was a song I used to sing, or some people in our church sang, and I, 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 I learned this song. It said, Jesus, use me. Please don't refuse me, for surely there's a work that I can do. As some of you know, I was born with speech impediment. I couldn't speak plain. And when I was in fourth grade, I got healed at a tent revival. And the man, he took his finger and touched it to his tongue, touched it to my tongue. And he said, Lord, from this day forward, may he speak plainly. And one day he told my parents, your son will carry the gospel for Jesus Christ. Providence. I'm going to tell you, though, that they asked that we need... We need some people to go down and work in the black camp in South Florida. It's an all-black camp. But me and Sharon raised her hand. We didn't know anything about these people. I'd had a pretty bad experience with them in the lunchroom. We volunteered to go down to Miami. There was one other guy. You know Galen Bell here. It was his dad. Three of us white people in a camp of about 200 people. But we slept in the same cabins with them. We ate with them. We cried with them. We prayed many through to salvation. We were the weird white things in the water when we swam. Like, oh, I mean, I felt safe because a lifeguard could surely see us. <laughs> I knew we was going to be saved. But I walked out of there realizing I need to get over my bigotry. I need to get over my attitude. If God created any person on the face of the earth, they're my brother, they're my sister, and I don't have a right to look down on them. I don't have a right to be ugly with them. Folks, I hope this never happens to you, but if someone kills one of your family members and God saves them and they come to this church, you better love them. God's providence, God's sovereignty is greater than our hate. You've got to ask yourself, do you hate somebody more than God loves them? We need to get rid of hate. We need to get rid And see, God was stretching Peter. Why was God stretching Peter? Because he was going to be used to rake in all the Gentiles to salvation. And so he, was, he, he took him to these towns. 
He took them to these people. He took them to this tanner's. Uh, and he goes, hey, you're a tanner. I was told never to be around you. And that's kind of weird. And, you know, they said you smelt, and that's true. But you're just a regular guy like me. Your name's Simon. My name's Simon. We got something in common. Even smelly people that you think you could never like, if you will try hard enough, by the grace of God, you'll find out you got something in common with them. One thing you got in common, if they're going to heaven and you're going to heaven, your brothers and sisters, you might as well learn to get along here. Because we got to get along up there. But God stretches us when he's going to do great things in us. So we find that uh, Peter goes down to Cornelius' house. And if you read the story, Peter preaches the same message. I think it's the third or fourth time he preached on the day of Pentecost. Uh, see, God had given Peter, the pillar, the keys to the kingdom. All right, he said, you're going to go to Jer Jerusalem. All right, the Jerusalem people. He had done that. Most all of Jerusalem had been reached for the gospel that wanted to be reached. So we read this story like it happened that day, and then the next day he went to Judea. No, it was 10 years. It was like eight or, eight or years. And then when he went down to uh, these people at Cornelius' house, it's, it's 10 years. 10 years have passed. It took them 10 years for God to get them ready to minister to a people that their entire life they hated, they despised, that they called dogs. Took them 10 years. 10 wasted years. How many people could be saved if we would quit wasting days and years? How many people could be saved? That'd be amazing to know. He goes down there, though. He goes to Cornelius' house, and he begins to preach that same old message. So I, I got a feeling now that I might could preach a message two or three times, and I got Bible to stand on. But he preaches, this is his third time to preach it. He preached it to the Jews in Jerusalem. He preaches it to, uh, that's Acts 2. In Acts 8, he preaches it to the Samaritans. Now, over here in Acts 10, he's preaching it to the Gentiles. And while he's preaching it to these people, you got to realize that it said that, uh, that Cornelius, he was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was a holy man. He gave alms. He gave to the poor. He gave to the church. He did all those things. But you got to know something. The Bible declares that he was not saved. He was wanting Peter to come down there to tell him how to be saved. So I want to tell you today, it doesn't matter what denomination you came out of, what church you grew up in, what bench pew you cut your teeth on. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you ain't been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you had not knelt at his cross, you're not saved. I don't care how good you can act and how well you can manage your behavior. There's only salvation in one, and that's Jesus Christ. That will never change. So he goes down there and he preaches. And while he was preaching that same day, that same message, the Holy Ghost fell on those Gentiles. And they began to speak in tongues. Peter had taken six people with him. The Bible said everything is confirmed in establishing the presence of two witnesses, two to three witnesses. Peter took three times the amount of witnesses that he needed, really. He took six people. Those six Jewish people, I bet their mouth dropped when they go, oh, my God. God just filled all of them dogs with the Holy Spirit. Why? God is sovereign. You don't get to tell God who he saves. I'm telling you, God don't like denominationalism because it divides us up in little boxes. The early church, that big old temple I showed you a few weeks ago, they used to go up in the temple. Uh, the men got to go up in the temple. What if I, I, our radio broadcast for our church was, hey, everybody, we want to welcome all you men to Grace Community Church, all you women. You can sit in the, the gym and your children can stay out there with you. How many would go to this church? But that's the way it was in the early church. They were not allowed. The men got to go in. The women didn't. The children was not even respected. That's why Jesus took the children and put them on his lap. They had walls and divisions. The first wall that came down is the wall of petition between God and man. When the day that Jesus died, that, that veil was rent from top to bottom, meaning that everybody, all people of all races, of all kindreds, of all tongues, even smelly people could come to God. 
Everybody. Everybody say everybody. everybody. Say all. God knocked the W off a wall and turned it into all. He, did, he got rid of the walls. And there's a lot of people still carrying those walls today. There's people who will tell you that a woman can't do ministry. That's a lie. There's some of the first people in the Bible to carry the gospel was women. There was women deaconess. But how we hold on to the stuff we want to hold on to. Denominations dividing people up in religion. God despises that. Churches don't work together. It's a trick of the devil. But I'm going to tell you at Grace Community Church, we're not going to be an old people church. We're not going to be a young people church. We're going to be a family church. We believe in all. We love all the people. We love all the ages. We love all the ministers. We love to hear ministers that are just getting started out. We love to hear singers that just started out. Because we're saying, look at that. That's the future of our church. We're going to have somebody prepared when these old people die. Folks, you don't have no success if you don't have no successors. We're going to build successors at this church. If you want to, if you want to go to a church where the polished professionals get up and do their thing every week, go there. But this church, we're going to train your children, your sons and daughters to be great and powerful men and women of God. Because that's our calling. That's the main calling of the church today. It's the main thing that God wants today. When you realize that, when you understand that. There was one guy, he, he got some money and he had invested in a bank and the bank lost every bit of his money. This guy he knew. And he was a great poet. He's a great poet, but after they lost his money, he got bitter. And for several years, he got so bitter, he never could write poetry anymore. Then one day, he was trying to write, and he was sitting at his desk, aimlessly drawing circles. And he doodled, making these circles. Suddenly, the thought struck him that God's circle is a great circle. God's love includes everyone and does not exclude anyone and God wanted him to put that banker that lost all his money back in his circle and here right after that God gave him a poem I drew a circle and I shut him out heretic rebel I think to flout but love and I the wit to win we drew a circle that took him in he forgave the banker, and he was able to resume his ministry. After that came some of the greatest poems he ever wrote. I don't know what's stopping you at your ministry, but you got a ministry. Today, to kind of sum it all up, I want to give you the top ten of miracles. You know, the top ten, the top ten, the top one is the less one, and you get down to number one, the number one miracle in this story today. Are you ready? Are you ready for the countdown? Number one. The healing of the cripple. Give a hand. No. Because you can be crippled again. It's not an eternal. It's not eternal. You can be crippled again. Okay, what about, what do you think about number nine? Raising the dead. Pretty good miracle. But most dead people don't want to be raised. Like, why did you bring me back? Are y'all crazy? You know where I was at? Plus, you can raise the dead, but they still got to die again. Why do you want to put anybody through that twice? So it's not the greatest miracle. Number eight, healing the body. We could be healed in the body. There's different kind of body, healing in the body, healing in the soul. Sometimes you're broken hearted, you're broken soul, you're, you're broken spirited, healing of a broken spirit. But you know, you can get healed of a broken spirit and you can get broken again. You can forgive and then have to forgive again. And I've got that on there. Number five, overcoming racism. That's not a, that's something that it'll take a long time, if that's the way you've been taught. Certain uh, religious background things you've been taught, it takes you a while to get it out of your system and get back to what the Bible says. Uh, the other thing here, number four, ministering to the Gentiles. That was one of Peter's big, it was a miracle. You're thinking about the miracle. It was a miracle that Peter would ever go down and minister to the Gentiles. It's unthinkable that he would ever do that. Uh, it's a great miracle. Another miracle, healing a relationship through forgiveness. You know, 
healing, that's a great thing. By the grace of God, we can forgive people and we can mend people. Are you a person that draws walls and divides and separate and draws circles and put people on the outside? Are you a person that includes people and tears down walls and you go, you're a whosoever and all type person? Who are you keeping from the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who are you shunning? But healing relationship is great, but it's not the greatest miracle. I was going to make this one number uh, one, but I, I didn't quite make the thing. Getting a man to make the bed. You go, where does that fit in? Peter told the man to stand up and walk. And he said, stand up, you're healed, make your bed and walk. How many women think this could be possibly the greatest miracle ever? To get a man to make a bed. <laughs> That's way up there, but it's not it. The number one miracle in the Bible, you'll never find a greater miracle than this miracle. Salvation of a soul. The greatest thing that has ever happened or ever will happen to Dennis Daniels is the day I got saved. Amen. Amen. It's the greatest. God may use a miracle. You notice those places where those miracles happen. At the end it said, and souls were saved, and souls were saved, and souls... God will do all kind of stuff to see a soul saved. God, I love that, that song, that reckless God. He'll do all kind of things to see a soul saved. Amen. Folks, there's been people before I drew outside of my circle. Since I've been pastoring this church, some of these Linden Bottoms and some of them know me from a long... There was quite a few years of my life I was really hurt. And one day... I pulled off the side of the road and I cried like a baby. And I had to drive back to that church that I left. And I had to put them back in my circle. I told them, I said, you're my brother. You're my sister. We done ministry together for a long time. I love you. And I thank you for the opportunity you gave me in ministry. We're not ministering in the same field anymore. But we're still brothers and sisters. Thank you for everything. And I hugged their neck and walked out. That day, the anointing of God came back on my life. That day, the Spirit of God began to use me in a new way. If you'll ask God, God, what's in the way of my ministry? Folks, get it out of the way. Here's the thing I want to say in closing. Peter said, not so, Lord. You can say not, and you can say, Lord, but you can't say not, Lord. God asks you to do something, you can't say no, Lord. Because when you say no, he's no longer Lord. If he's to be Lord, he's Lord of all. He's Lord of all. Whatever God puts before you to do, do it to the best of your ability. Do it to the best of your might. Don't even consider whether somebody can do it better than you. Just say, I'm going to do the very best I can because I'm serving the greatest God ever. He deserves everything I got, everything I can give, everything I am. He deserves all of me. And we must remember this last saying. There are no saints without a past. And there's no sinners without a future. By the grace of Almighty God. Let us stand at this time. The prayer team will come today. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray for this congregation today. God, I'm excited about what you're doing in our church. You're teaching us to equip the saints. You're teaching us, Lord. We're looking forward to multiple worship teams. God, we're, we're looking for many, many ministers to come forward. God, many, many volunteers. God, we're looking for miracles to bring people to salvation. The only reason we'd even want to see a miracle if it calls people to be saved. Because salvation has and always will be the greatest miracle that ever happened to humanity. And God, we thank you for salvation today. If there be one here today that has never come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've never personally asked him by the blood of Jesus to save you, you need to come today. You need to say, I need Jesus. I need to know that Jesus today that can wash me with his blood. He's ready to save you today. He loves you. You can't even imagine how much he loves you. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today. I praise you for this congregation. I thank you for what you're doing. 
God, I pray for a mighty move of God to hit this place and hit our congregation as we become willing servants and volunteers for the greatest cause there ever has been, the saving of a soul. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you'd like prayer today, I'd love to pray with you this morning. While you're waiting on people to talk to God, be touched by God, sing this song if you can sing along with the track there. For those that want prayer.